we have saw in our blood, in our sweat, in our tears. We are tied to the ocean. And when we go back to the sea, whether it is to sail or to watch it, we are going back to whence we came. This is Hold Fast USA, a podcast about U.S. Olympic sailing, the failures, the successes, and the stories behind the sailors attempting to scale one of the pinnacles of our sport. Welcome to another episode of the Hold Fast Podcast. I'm your host, Nathan Ausberg, and I'm here with Daniela Moroz. Daniela, can you introduce yourself? I'm Daniela. I kite. I'm from the San Francisco Bay Area, and I'm 20 right now. And I'm currently campaigning for the 2024 Paris Olympics. So I'm pretty excited to have Danielle on the podcast today because Daniela just won her fifth world championship. Where was that? It was in Torre Grande um, in northwestern Sardinia. Um, it was a cool event, like small little town. Um, I feel like Sardinia is very well known for Cagliari, which is like in the southern part, but this was a little bit more like removed. Um, pretty difficult venue, but yeah, went pretty well. It was a lot of fun. And it's especially a big year now, or big event now, because um, kite foiling makes its Olympic debut in the 2024 Paris Olympics. So this is the first world championship of its debut Olympic quad. Is that correct? Yep, that's correct. So how do you describe what you do to someone that maybe isn't very familiar with kiting, kite foiling, or sailing? Um, so basically what I do is I use a large kite that is attached to me, which is similar to like a paraglider. Um, and I use it to harness the wind essentially and propel myself across the water on a board that has a hydrofoil and a hydrofoil is like a small airplane wing in the water, um, that, you know, creates lift at some speed and allows you to rise up out of the water. And, um, we go pretty fast because it's super efficient and, I use this kite and hydrofoil to basically do like sailing races around the around buoys and I do this all over the world and I'm pretty lucky. It's a lot of fun. Where did you grow up? I was born and raised in the San Francisco Bay Area. Um yeah, NorCal, born and raised. <laughs> and uh did you kite surf growing up? Kind of. So basically, both of my parents were longtime windsurfers. Um, they actually were both originally from the Czech Republic, and they escaped and came to the U.S. in the early 80s, I guess. Um, and they met when they were learning to windsurf at the Berkeley Marina. And then were traveling all over the world, like doing windsurf races and doing events like the Nationals and North Americans and stuff like that. Um, and then they had me continue to windsurf and then I grew up around windsurfing and was like constantly at the beach and around windsurfing and eventually around kiting. And then my dad started kiting in about 2005 once that was kind of becoming a thing. 
Um, and then once I was kind of old enough to learn to either kite or windsurf, I wanted to learn to kite. But it was pretty funny because when my dad first was like learning to kite, my mom and I would laugh at him because he would come out of the water and be like completely wrapped in lines because of the like the kite lines. Um, and we were like, oh, my God, this looks so unsafe. Like, I'm never doing this. Uh, but I loved other water sports. Like, I was doing, like, a little bit of windsurfing here and there um, when I was little. But then eventually, like, I started seeing more and more kind of, like, girls and just more and more um, people learning to kite. And then um, we met, like, an instructor at Sherman Island at one of my local spots. And we were like, oh, this actually, like, looks pretty safe and like you can teach it in a safe way so then I was like yeah I kind of want to like learn to kite because it actually looks super fun and after being like exposed to it so much because like my parents would go kite and windsurf and I'd be like on the beach playing maybe with some other kids and stuff and I'd always like be watching the kites out on the water I was like oh yeah maybe I want to like try kiting and yeah so my parents like got me lessons I was like I'm definitely not having my dad teach me because that would not go well um, and yeah, and then just kind of learned to kite when I was about 12 and was just super, super hooked on it from the first day. And yeah, it never looked back. <laughs> so one thing I run into when I coach sailing is parents who love their sport and who really want their kids to love that sport. And it comes from a good place, but their kid doesn't always love sailing and that dynamic becomes a point of conflict and ultimately disappointment for both parties. And I'm curious how your dynamic was inheriting water sports from your parents. Yeah, it's interesting because I see that a lot as well. Um, and I hear a lot of stories like that too. And I never, I think the biggest thing with me is that my parents like never forced me to do it. And they were always super supportive in just what I wanted to do and whatever I wanted to try. And so, for example, like if I wanted to try like tennis or I wanted to try swimming or water polo or like whatever sport it was, they were like, oh, yeah, like let's just like you can try that. And they were really supportive of it. So when I wanted to learn to kite, it really wasn't any different than that. And I think they were like, obviously, obviously I'd been exposed to it so much. And like it was, um, I don't know, it was just something that it, it came like naturally that I wanted to try it. And I'm sure that they were like stoked that I wanted to try it, but they never like pushed me to try it. Um, and they never like, you know, forced me to fly a kite on the beach or anything. It was always something that like I wanted to try. Um, so yeah, I think, but I think it's interesting because for sure there's like, yeah, there's parents that put their kids in like sailing camps over the summer and the kids aren't exactly excited to be there. Um, but for me, it was, I was always like, yeah, I want to try it. And I turned out okay. <laughs> so you mentioned swimming and tennis. Were those other sports you did as well growing up? Yeah, I played a ton of different sports growing up. I was like swimming was my main sport eventually. Um, but I did swimming, water polo, tennis, um, like horseback riding, ice skating, skiing. I, yeah, I just loved like being active when oh, I danced and um yeah just like ton of different sports and I just really liked being active and being outside um and all the sports like together eventually helped each other and I just became really like athletically I don't know like coordinated I guess um 
And so, yeah, once I wanted to try kiting, all the skills just kind of transferred over because by that point I was like a really good swimmer. So I was super comfortable in the water. Um, and uh, yeah, didn't mind getting wet. I loved being in the water. And at that point, were you considering it all a switch to kiteboarding or were you, were you all in on swimming? No, I think like it was very different because like kiting was a thing that I did for fun on the weekends and it was just a hobby. And I guess like in the back of my mind, I always knew I could be good at that, but swimming was always like my main focus. Um, and it was like, I didn't really live close to the beach. My closest kite spot was like 45 minutes away. Um, so it's not like I could go get a kite session after school or anything. Like I was going to swim practice after school. Um, so that was why, like, I was very focused on like swimming. Um, and then kiting was like the thing we did as a family for fun on the weekends. And, and when did kiting become more than the is it more did it ever become more when did kiting become more than just you know kiting with your family on the weekends so both of my parents always raced windsurfing and there was always a big like racing scene both for kiting and windsurfing in the bay area there wasn't much of like a freestyle scene that is common at a lot of like other wind sport venues around the world um And so I was kind of naturally like drawn towards racing because that was just kind of what I was exposed to at the beginning. You know, at the time, Johnny and Erica Heineken were the current world champions and they were racing in San Francisco regularly. So I was like, oh, yeah, I want to like go race with the world champions and be like on the same starting line as them. That'd be super cool. So um, I like learned to ride a race board. And then the following I think I did a whole year just racing on a race board. Um, and I like loved it. I did the, I did my first, um, Thursday night series, like the, we have the Thursday night kite racing series every other Thursday from April through September hosted by the St. Francis in San Francisco. Um, so that was like the perfect kind of entry path into racing. Um, and we had like 30 to 40 kiters on any given night, just out there, you know, racing each other. And it was super, it's a, such a cool scene and a really cool community. Um, and I absolutely loved it. Like I loved going fast. I had always been like trying to beat the boys in my other sports. And, um, uh, this was like essentially no different. And I was just super motivated to like try to get better at it. Um, and I was always really competitive too, even in my other sports, so, um, it, that just kind of like transferred over and yeah, I was super hooked essentially. Did someone suggest, uh, like there are other regattas, like not just in San Francisco Bay, like there are other States countries you can go to that also do this or was that sort of your own idea? Well, I guess so in 2015, there was going to be an event in La Ventana in Mexico, um, in March. And I was like, oh, maybe like I can go because like, I don't know, I was just super excited because I thought it would be a cool opportunity just to like miss school for a week and like go kite and like see all my like heroes and idols basically because they're all, I was always watching all the videos from all the kite racing events and like, you know, seeing like Florian Gruber and Ricky Lachesi and like all these names that were such legends um, at the time and even now. And at the time it was called like the kite foil gold cup. Um, so we ended up going and I'm, I, uh, it was, it was just such an experience because I was like 
I was only 14 and I was just so excited to be like exposed to all these people and exposed to like the international scene and just be racing with all these like all my heroes basically. And it wasn't until really like a year later um, at the same event in 2016 where I had been like doing quite a bit of training and I knew that I was like pretty good um, just from like kiting over the summer and, you know, having all that experience with the Thursday night series and racing in those events. And I was like getting better and better. And I was like, I was finishing top half of the fleet always, sometimes even in the top 10. And I knew I could like do pretty well. And I came into the event in at the beginning of 2016. And I was like, kind of expecting myself to win because I knew like I at the time Erica had stopped racing actually because she was having a kid so she wasn't racing anymore and I was like that's it like I'm the next best girl there's no doubt about it and like I can win and I think in a way it was a it was definitely a turning point for me that event and a big like realization about what um what being the best actually means I think um because we get to La Ventana and the first two days there was like no wind. The biggest kite I'd ever ridden was like a 12 maybe. And the guys were going out on like 15s and 18s and like barely staying foiling and stuff. And just that those kind of conditions. Um, so it was super tough. And I basically didn't finish a lot of the races in the first couple of days. So I ended up in Silver Fleet while um, the, the girl who was like the current world champion at the time, Elena Kalinina, she was from Russia and she was a really good snow kiter and used to like kiting on lakes and light wind in Russia. Um, so she was super good in light wind and she made it into gold fleet. So it had been kind of decided like on the, by the second day. Um, but I was like really disappointed in myself after that event because I knew like deep down that I could win and I hadn't, um, I just, yeah, I just hadn't performed up to my expectations, which was really disappointing. Um, but I was like, just so confident that I knew I could be better and could do better than I did. So that basically that following summer, I was like, okay, I really want to like get good at kiting and like, I want to do this event and I want, like, I want to win. So I ended up training like almost, I think I kind of like 30 out of 31 days in a month in um, San Francisco that summer, I would basically go to swim practice in the morning and then kite in the afternoon. So I was just like going super hard and like having the best time just kiting every single day. And then at the end of the summer, there was an event in Mauritius called the Hydrofoil Pro Tour. And it was happening, I think it was like just before school was starting for me. I was starting my second year of high school. Um, and so I go to this event and I really made sure not to have any expectations for it because I had learned my lesson earlier that year. And I was like, okay, I'm just going to go and like, just have fun, see how it goes, like see a bunch of friends and yeah, just have fun on the water. Um, and not only did I win, but I was like winning by a lot. And I honestly like didn't even notice it at first because I was just like trying to beat all the guys basically. And we go like we're on the last day of the event or something and I look at the results for the first time or something and I'm like, whoa, like I'm like in the top 20 right now and the next girl isn't until like 50th or something. So I was just like blowing them out of the water basically. And um, 
so I won that event and I didn't really have any time to like really absorb any of it because I was like right like tomorrow like school starts tomorrow like I gotta fly home and go to school and start high school um so I like flew back home and then I was just getting like getting situated at school kind of and then my parents were having dinner that night um and like we were all having dinner that night and I think we were like looking at the schedule and looking at Facebook or something and we were like oh the world championships are in like a few weeks like do you think you would maybe want to go to that and we were talking about it and we were like well I did just beat like the current world champion like it could be a good experience and like I don't know like if anything I'll just I'll be able to learn a lot so at that point um we were like okay why not like let's just go and see what happens so my dad and I flew to China for the 2016 world championships did you expect to win that world championship no, not at all. Well, I guess like going into it, I knew that I was capable of winning, but I definitely didn't expect to win. And I was very careful about what I expected from that event just because of the lessons I had learned um, earlier that year. And my goal for that event had just been like to learn as much as I could and just have fun on the water essentially. And I think that's what I did. After you won that world championship, did it change your approach to the sport? Mm, Not exactly because I was still like so young and still like in high school and dealing with all these like real life things, you know, that I didn't really, I don't know, to me kiting still like it was just a hobby and it was just something I was doing for fun on the side. I didn't really see there being like a career out of it or anything. Um, So like, And especially, like, because of where I'm from, um, like, no one really knows what kiting is. And, like, yeah, people know what sailing is, but, like, no one really sailed either. So it was definitely, like, a bit of an extreme. And even, like, when I had come back from the world championships, like, no one really knew that I had gone and done that. And, like, it, it wouldn't be right to say they didn't care, but, like, you know, no one had, like, really paid attention to it that much. Um so I guess I, I don't know, I had almost like under, undervalued it in a way um, because I was like, oh, no one really cares about it here. It's okay. Like we're going back to real life. We're going to swim practice every day and um, just doing that, which I think was fine at that time. Um, and I really, I don't think it's up until like now that I've really seen that I could make a maybe not a career out of kiting, but at least like, you know, live off of kiting for a few years until the games. And so you, so you, wait, that was the 2016 world championship in China. Yeah. And, uh, you basically haven't lost an event since, right. To clarify right, an event that you've sailed the full sequence of races. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, we're talking to the best here on the hold fast podcast, but, um, <laughs> you know, so after that you won four more world championships, uh, at each point along the way, like, did you start to expect to win the next one? And then the one after that, and then the one after that, like, was there, did those results goals or do those results expectations, you know, start to tick up after it was like, okay, well, I, I haven't lost in two years. Like, why should I lose this one? 
Um, I don't think I was really thinking about it in that way. I think I was just because at that point, because I knew I was better than all the girls, I was like, my goal had never really been to like be better than all of the girls. Like I knew I was able to do that, but I was like, okay, like I, like, I know I can be better than all of these guys. Like, let's try, let's try to get better than these guys. And so every event that I went to, I was just racing the guys and I was like, okay, yeah, like I won the women's, but like, I'm always just outside the top 10. Like, why can't I just get into the top 10? And so, um, I was really focused on trying to do that rather than, um, like trying to, to win, I guess. Wait, so to Um, clarify, clarify here up to, up until this last world championship, every championship prior has been combined guys and girls racing. The world championships and like the European championships, so title events, we would always race separately. Okay. But there were all these other combined events in between where everybody would race together. And that's where I was like, okay, I'm trying to like, I know I can be up there. Like, how, why can't I just sneak into like into the top 10 and things like that? And that was really where I was like, getting better and I remember for example like in 2018 I think I got worse racing during the summer of 2018 because I was only racing in like the title events like we had two back-to-back events essentially it was like Europeans and Worlds and I'm pretty sure I got worse because I was only racing against girls and I like wasn't really racing against the guys that much you know the names that you're bringing up like you know Florian and Erica and Johnny I mean just for context for the listener like these aren't your like fellow 14 year old kiters. Like these are adults, like you know? So it's funny. You have these kiting friends and I'm sure the swimming friends are more like your high school friends and these two different worlds. Um, did, as you started to kite more and sort of swim less, um, did that social dynamic sort of, did it feel like you were like pulling away from your, you know, the friends that were your age at all? Oh, yeah, for sure. I like, I don't know, I always felt like I was very different from like, my high school peers, I guess. And I think part of it was because like, I was only I was an only child. And like growing up, I was always with my parents and like, adults a lot of the time. So I feel like I was just generally a bit more mature in that sense. And like just hanging out with older people than most of my like friends at school. Um, And like, especially like towards the end of high school, like a lot of my friends, what they wanted to do on the weekends, like wasn't necessarily what I wanted to do on the weekends because like I just, all I wanted to was like go surf or go kite and like be on the water and go to the beach and stuff like that. Um, Whereas like a lot of them were a bit more interested in like going to parties and that type of thing. Um, And especially towards the end of high school, I just grew really far apart from my friends because I just had very different like goals for myself and I wanted to do very different things from what they wanted to do. Um, and so, yeah, it definitely like impacted me in the end, but, um, I think I turned out okay again. (laughs) Was there a kiting team for you to join like the swim swim team or are you pretty much like on your own? Um, when I, so when I was learning to ride a race board, there were a few other like teenagers at the time that were also like kind of getting into it. Um, 
but they were also like still much older. They were like five years older than me at least. Um, and so, and there were only like five of us maybe that like were trying to race regularly. Um, and then like slowly they all went off to college and I ended up being like the only one still there and still kiting regularly and still racing. Um, so I was very much just like on my own, but I don't know. I never really felt like lonely or anything just because I loved what I was doing so much. And I was just so motivated to just keep kiting and just keep getting better. Um, and I felt like I was becoming more and more better friends, like with my, with the people that I was kiting with and competing with than anyone, like anyone else essentially. Um, so yeah, I don't, yeah, there, like there were people, but eventually like it was just me (laughs) just little 15 year old Danielle like trying to beat all the all the big guys (laughs) yeah so I mean big guys is is not an understatement I there's some important context about I think San Francisco at least Silicon Valley and kiteboarding in that like kiteboarding in its advent a lot of the early adopters were these like tech bros in San Francisco and Palo Alto and Exactly. That's like a huge reason why, you know, the San Francisco Bay was the cutting edge of all this kiteboard racing technology and prototype boards. And I I think that was a very unique part about San Francisco during this period of time and when kiting was just really starting to take off. And of course, St. Francis Yacht Club bought into that as well and, and started a team for you guys. There hasn't really been another team like kite team like that um, since or anywhere in the U.S. Has there? No, not at all. Is is the St. Francis kite team coming back, or is that was that a one time deal? <laughs> I don't know. Good question. I think I think it could come back. I feel like now there's like there's more and more kids that are getting into kiting, and now like. Even when I see it, I feel like when kids learn to kite, there's always like a group of them that are like similarly aged. And I'm like, oh, that's cool. Like, that's not something that I had like when I was learning. So I, I always like appreciate seeing that. Did you have any coaching at that at that age? Or was it just mom and dad sort of support boat coaching? Um, support boat. Nah, <laughs> I just went out on the water and went out the Golden Gate Bridge out to Mile Rock and back by myself. <laughs> oh, no, no. Sometimes I'd go with someone else. But, um, we did have like Michael Gebhardt at a couple of camps with us a couple of times, um, which was cool. I mean, we all know how Gebby is. He's, he's just, yeah, he's awesome. But, um, yeah, that was a couple times and we definitely learned a lot from him, but it wasn't like a regular thing. It was maybe like one week every in the summers, um, for like maybe two summers was when we had him around, but yeah, no coach, just, just us going out in San Francisco Bay, um, on our kites and foils and sending it out the gate. (laughs) Well, you know, Michael Gebhardt's actually an interesting name and a name that does is not brought up in sailing much at all. I don't know him at all, but he did win a couple medals for the U.S. in windsurfing and for, by all accounts, really good sailor, really good coach, no? Yeah, he definitely knows what he's talking about. And he, yeah, he was super helpful for us in like learning kite control and things like that. And I think like to this day, I think that I have really good 
kite handling and just kite control because of a lot of the stuff that I learned from him and a lot of the stuff that we worked on in those camps. Um, but yeah, he also has some other crazy ideas that are just, you know, it's, it's part of having Gevy as your coach and it's just, yeah, it's just part of the deal. And, um, yeah, he's a great guy. How much training were you doing? Honestly, like when I compare it to what I think of training today, I was not really training. Like, yeah, I was going out and I was going on the water and like lining up with people and we would go up and down the Sherman River and for two hours and then come in and I would go home and then go to swim practice the next morning and then, you know, do the same thing again. Um, but and, and the other thing was like, because Mike from Mike's lab also lives in the Bay Area and is like a really good family friend of mine, like I was always testing foils from him. So I got really good at riding all these different kinds of foils because I was always like, whenever I would go out on the water, Mike would be like, here, like switch with me and test this. So, um, yeah, <laughs> like when I think of training today, I think it's like super different from what I was doing then. And, and like is, now I think obviously Mike- you should say his last name mike uh Sychek. mike Sychek. Sychek, um yeah. who's who's the founder maker of mike's lab foils Th- that was up until recently right the like the gold standard for stable fast race foils yeah yeah i mean i think like 2016 2017 2018 and 2019 like i think at least 75 minimum. Usually it was closer to like 95% of the top 20 were on Mike's foils. So yeah, just to give you an idea. <laughs> and, and you were riding the prototypes fresh out the fresh out of the molds. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, when I was training, I was riding prototypes and like helping him, yeah. you know, develop stuff. But when we were racing, I was riding the registered foils. Yeah, of course. Sounds like a, a nice neighbor to have. Was it, was it was it hard to stay motivated to train like after you kept winning events like was it like okay like uh you know I can take a day off or or just you were just like uh in the fun of it the whole time No I was totally in the fun of it like you could not get me off the water I was like kiting as much as I could every single day Was there a um, point that for- your that your training started to change and become more of the professional style training that um, I think is standard in Olympic classes now. Yeah, but really that didn't happen up until like end of last year, I would say. Like, or what year are we in? 2021? Yeah, so it wouldn't have been like end of 2020. Did that affect your enjoyment of the sport? Yeah, for sure. Well, so I think like, Going back to 2019 a little bit, like that summer I was like traveling a lot and I was doing a bunch of trips like with my sponsors and doing a bunch of content and stuff and things like that. And it was super fun. And I wasn't really like training, quote unquote, in the same sense that I had been before that. Um, And I was still like kiting with people that were better than me. And I think I was still getting better, but it wasn't quite the same. And I was always like traveling to different locations in Europe and things like that. Um, And I was having a great time. Like, don't get me wrong. It was super fun um, and getting to do a bunch of different stuff. But these are your equipment sponsors. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Um, And then at the end of 2019, we had like 
I think it was like six or seven events back to back within two and a half months. Um, and it was a combination of like U.S. nationals, North Americans, then like three, three or four kite foil gold cups or at, then they were calling it the kite foil world series. Um, and then world beach games. And those were all within like two and a half months. Um, and so I basically, I was like starting to enjoy kiting less and less and less because I felt like I would just like fly to a location, do a regatta for five days or whatever it was, fly right out. Then at the time I was also like starting college. So I was like trying to move into college at Hawaii. Um, and then, you know, fly to the next location, do another regatta, fly out, fly back to Hawaii and do a couple like midterm exams, leave again and like do another couple events. And it was super, super just taxing and exhausting, both like mentally and physically. And honestly, even looking back, like physically, I was totally fine, like because I was kiting so much, I was getting um, like I was totally in shape for kiting and stuff and it really wasn't that part. It was just like mentally, I was like, wow, I am so done with this right now. Like I, I just felt like I got churned in this, like in this grinding machine or something that, um, it it was a little bit, yeah, it it was definitely just exhausting. And I didn't really want to basically after my 2019 season ended, I was like, wow, I never want to see my race gear for the next like six months because I'm just super, super done. Um, and I just want to like go to college and do that. Um, which was basically exactly what I did at the end of 2019. And then end of February, I left to go to La Ventana and do an event. And by that point I was like pretty motivated again. Um, and I did that event and I sailed super well, actually, given that I hadn't been like kiting very much. And then right when I got back into the States after that was when COVID hit. And I basically, I ended up, I was in Florida. Um, and I had been planning to be in Florida for like two weeks, just basically for my spring break. And then I was going to go back to school. Um, but I ended up being in Florida for like two and a half months, pretty much because of just COVID and um, not really wanting to like travel. And school went online at that point so I was like okay I can just stay in Florida and just you know be kiting here and then I ended up kiting like quite a bit but I really wasn't that into it and I wasn't really enjoying it and I was definitely just feeling forced to be on the water and I was like why am I feeling like this like this isn't supposed to happen I was always the person that was like super motivated to kite always wanted to be the first on the water and it was really weird at the beginning because I was really confused about why it was happening and I was like okay maybe I just like didn't take a long enough break and maybe this maybe that and I kept seeing the like the events the kite events getting postponed or canceled and I was like okay maybe like this would be a good time to take a break but I don't know because maybe I should still be training like I really didn't know what to do Then like things opened up a little bit more in the US. So I flew back home to San Francisco. I think it was like end of May was when I got back home. Um, And I was actually super excited to be home because I hadn't really been home for more than a day or two at a time in almost a year. Um, So I was super excited to be home and like kite all my favorite spots at home, like San Francisco, like at Chrissy Field and 
um, Sherman Island and Waddell and all those spots. Um, and then it was, it was like kind of funny looking back now, like I kited each of those spots once and I was like, okay, I'm done. Like, I don't really want to kite anymore. This is like, I'm just, I was super over it. Um, and then like a bunch of the guys at Sherman, including my dad, were learning to wing. And I thought winging looked super dumb at first. I'm not going to lie. Like I thought it looked really stupid. But then I was like, oh, maybe I'll just like try winging because I don't really feel like kiting. And but this will at least still like get me on the water and get me foiling. Um, So I was just like, okay, I'm just going to like put my kite gear away for the next few months and not look at it, not keep it in my car and just like do other stuff and be okay with it. So I started winging a bunch and I started like I got into road biking and I was like doing a bunch of rides road biking and I I did like a trip up to Hood River and was winging a ton there and I don't think I even brought kite gear to Hood River because I still like I did and this was in August um and I didn't even bring kite gear because I was like no I literally just want to wing like winging is actually super fun <laughs> that was around the time that I like posted the video about burnout because I kind of felt like I needed to like talk about it a little bit and it ended up working out pretty well because it turns out like everybody had gone through the same thing that I was going through. So when I posted that video, it was actually like I felt really good because I felt like I had started this conversation like on my platform that no one else had really talked about. It made me feel better about like what I was doing and I was happy that I could like share my story and um, like hopefully inspire someone or help someone through their own burnout or whatever they were going through. So we'll, we'll link to the Danielle's YouTube and, and, uh, that specific YouTube video in the show notes of this episode. So, so, you know, go give her a subscribe and, and check that out. It's a pretty good video. Um, did you see any girls like putting up results at the Europeans and start to give you a little second thoughts like, Oh, maybe they're, maybe they're getting good without me. Like maybe I, took my foot off the gas for too long did you struggle with those thoughts or were you pretty comfortable in that decision I I mean it was always in the back of my mind that like the girls would be getting faster like there was no doubt in my mind like it's just a fact like there's people that are going to get better and that are going to catch up to you um and like it's not easy it I don't think it was very easy for me to accept and like honestly I'm still working on kind of accepting that but I know that like the only thing that I have control over is like how I respond to that and what I do up until then. So all I was thinking about like what I need to do in order to peak in 2024 or whatever it is, or peak at the 2021 world championships is I need to be taking a break right now. Like I need to not be kiting so that I'm ready to start training, you know, at the beginning of 2021 and start going like full time from there basically. Was there anything else that you learned about yourself in that time away? I guess the biggest takeaway was just that like, it's okay to take breaks. And I found that like, I should really trust myself in how I feel and how my body is feeling. And if like something doesn't feel right, like it's just not right. Like there's no reason I should do it. And, um, I found that like, I can really trust my gut and trust my intuition. Like 
my gut is very healthy. I drink a lot of kombucha and like it knows what it's talking about, you know? (laughs) Um, And like I can trust that and it's okay to trust that. Um, So, yeah, I think that was just the biggest thing is like, no, like knowing that it's like it's okay to take breaks and you should do what feels right for you. How do you think your skills have changed from, I don't know, from your first world championship in 2016 until now? Wow, that's like just so much in every way possible because it is such a long time. It's like five years. So think about like how much you can improve in a single sport in five years. That's so much time. Um, And I think like the biggest thing is like obviously I didn't grow up sailing. Um, The first time I got on a sailboat was in like 2017, I think. And it was a NACRA 15. And that was my first time on a sailboat. Um, but and then like slowly because we were kind of, you know, getting these rumors that kiting would be in the Olympics, then I slowly got more and more like exposed to sailing. And um, I spent all of pretty much last winter in Florida, just like learning about campaigning and about, you know, the different sailing classes and that type of thing. Um, so I think my biggest kind of like my biggest aspect of growth was like the, the strategy and the tactics. Um, because I really didn't know anything about that, but like when I started, um, and now, especially like with working with Charlie McKee so much this year, he's been so awesome with that and really, really helpful. And I've learned so much from him on that front. Now I feel like a tactical genius, but (laughs) before I didn't know like the first thing about tactics. So I think that's like been my biggest area of growth and improvement. How how is your training different now? I mean, you talked about sort of this, this fun training doing lineups in San Francisco and testing the new foils. How, how, what does your training look like now? Yeah, now, I mean, it depends usually involves like marks in the water and doing different drills and a lot of like I think it's just a lot more specific um and like when I go out for a session I have a few particular things in mind that I really want to work on um whereas before I was just like okay like let's try to be faster than this person to the other side of the river like send it um but now it's like okay like I'm gonna try to like do a really good mark rounding here or you know whatever it may be Um, so it's a lot more like specific and strategic training. Um, and it definitely keeps things more interesting and yeah, it's been really fun. What's there left for you to work on after you've won five? What's like, do you go, when you go out and go training, what's your, what are you working on right now? Everything. I need help with everything. The secrets (laughs) for the competition. (laughs) No, I mean, it's so obvious where like the holes in my game are. Like if you watch, if you watch some of my races from the 2021 world, it's super obvious. But um, yeah, I think like there's always things to work on. And like if you're, if you're the best in the world at something, how do you get better? Like you just, you get better at what you're weakest in and you work on the holes in your game and you work on your weaknesses. So it's like, give us an yeah, example. There, there's always something to work on. Give us an example. What do you think is a hole in your game right now? Like it got better closer to the end of the regatta, but my starts were just like 
awful sometimes because I was being super, super conservative and didn't want to be over early and didn't want to like touch anyone's kite because I wasn't sure how, I don't know, before, whenever you're racing the guys, it's like the kites touch and whatever, like you touch a couple wingtip, then it's like all chill. But in the girls fleet before, when we would race separately, there was like, there were some cat fights out there because like girls would be screaming if you just like brush their wingtip a tiny bit. And I didn't want to get like protested for something stupid like that. Um, so I was just racing, like I was starting way too conservatively, essentially. You texted me before the event. Um, I, I don't have the exact quote, but it was something along the lines of like, I don't feel nervous for this event and that's making me nervous. Have you had time to reflect on that feeling? Yeah, I remember sending that. <laughs> it was so funny. It was the night before the event, um, or at least the night before, like the first day of racing. And I like normally before any event, even like the Europeans, which had just happened like about a month before the worlds. Um, I'm usually like a little bit nervous at least, but before the worlds, I was not nervous at all. And that's, that was making me nervous because I was like, why am I not nervous? Um, like I should be nervous right now and I'm not like, what's going on? Um, but I realized like, I was just so confident in my preparation and everything that I had done and how I had trained and like the, the team that I had surrounded myself with and the people that were supporting me. Like I had so, so much confidence in every single part of my game that I was like, I know that tomorrow, like I'm going to be able to deliver the best result I can. I am capable of delivering because I've done all this preparation. and I have so much confidence in my preparation and, I know that I've gotten so much better in the past like year than I ever have. Yeah, just super confident. But I don't think I was too confident because I was still like, I know this isn't, it's not going to be easy still. But like, I, I was just really confident in my preparation. And I was like, I know I'm prepared and I can do my best tomorrow. And there's nothing stopping me from doing that. Any, any moments of doubt? Anything there that the scores just didn't just can't show? I mean, I always feel like results are just one aspect of a performance in any regatta. Um, and I think I don't even know how many races I won because, yeah, I don't really pay attention to that anymore. But I think like in a couple of races, I think I got a I got a DNS and a four and the dns was because um i was sitting on the coach boat um in between races on one day and basically i don't really know exactly how this happened but it was a really really gusty offshore day and basically my kite fell out of the sky while i was sitting on the coach boat and (laughs) i ended up drifting into a fish farm and it's so I, – I just laugh at it looking back because now it was just so funny. Like, of course, this would happen to me. Um, but I drifted into a fish farm, and I was – my kite was stuck in the fish farm, and I was stuck outside of the fish farm, like, hanging on to the buoys that were around the fish farm. And um, I basically, like, I couldn't get my kite back up because the wind was super weird, and then it was, like – filling with water because I wasn't drifting with the kite and normally when you drift with the kite then it like kind of stops it from completely filling with water so it's like filling with water and then eventually we had to like tow I had to like tow myself out of the like away from the fish farm so I like hop on the boat and 
Charlie starts towing me away. And then the kite gets like super full of water and it's getting stuck on the buoys because, yeah. And so I had to like hand Charlie the bar and I like swim to the kite and I'm like pulling the kite over these buoys. And yeah, it was like that, that was my one DNS. Um, but other than that, it was a pretty smooth regatta. <laughs> I mean, that sounds like, I mean, we can laugh about it now, right? But in the midst of a world championship, in the qualifying stage, or not even out, we weren't even out of the qualifying stage at that point, right? It was still qualifying. Yeah, I think it was, yeah, it was still, it was in like gold, silver, and I had like a healthy enough lead that I like could have a couple shockers and like have it not really affect my score. Um, but I was definitely a little bit nervous because basically if the, if the girl that was in second got a first in her fleet, then she would be winning, but then she didn't. So I was like, I I don't know. I guess like if I had, if that had affected my score or if the fact that I didn't win that race had affected my score because of something stupid like that, then I definitely would have been like pretty upset. But because it didn't, I was like, okay, like we just got to learn from it. Like, don't like, if you feel like sitting on the coach boat is sketchy, then just like, don't sit there. It's totally fine. And like, I can't focus on flying my kite and like listening to a debrief from my coach at the same time, you know? So yeah, I mean, you live, you learn. Winning this world's did it, did it feel any different than the other ones? It, it meant a lot more than the others. I think there were so many new people, new faces and like more countries with bigger teams and so many coaches on the water. It was insane. Like I've never seen so many coach boats at a kite event. Um, you used to see like maybe one coach boat at a kite event and it was always the French team, but like slowly there's just been more and more every single event. Um, and now there are like, I don't even know how many boats out on the water with us. Um, yeah, so definitely like the whole event had a very different atmosphere and just a very different vibe from what it normally does. And it was very, everything was just much more like professional, it seemed. And um, yeah. As looking back on, on your five previous world championships, has there been one that you remember as being, you know, more difficult than the others? I mean,. I guess now looking back, probably the first one was a little bit more difficult than like the middle three, just because I was so inexperienced that there were so many, like in a lot of ways, like I just, I didn't have the same experience that I do now. And that could, I was almost like ignorant about a lot of things. Um, which made it difficult in the end because like, for example, going into the last day at the 2016 Worlds, I was tied for first place. And um, I think like now I would handle that very differently than I did then because then I was actually like pretty nervous on that last day. And I really had to tell myself just to be like, okay, like, you know, it's okay. Like you don't have to win right now. Like that wasn't why you came here. You just came here to learn and it's okay if you don't win. Um, and whereas like now I don't think I would even really need to have the conversation with myself almost. I would just have to be like, okay, this is like, this is the plan for this race and this is how we're going to start. And we're going to, you know, tack out within the first, I don't know, 30 seconds or whatever it is. So I think, um, 
it, it would just be a very like different approach. Um, and then obviously this last one was super hard for sure, just because the, the racing is much tighter and much more competitive now. So, yeah. Can you, can you make a living off kite foil racing right now? Is it like, can, can it be a profession? I think it depends on where you're from. If you're from Europe, yes. Um, if you're in the States, maybe like, obviously I'm in a very different position from most people. Um, and I've been super lucky, like with the equipment sponsors that I've gotten, um, and just like with the general support that I've gotten, um, from my parents as well. But I think like, I think it's pretty similar, like with sailing because in Europe, like sailing is just so much bigger and people care about it more. Whereas here, like people don't, the general like population doesn't care about sailing as much as like the general population does in Europe. Um, so I think that it's a bit easier, like in general, the Europeans just have more funding and more, um, yeah, I, I think just like the more funding, it just, it completely changes the game. Um, and they're also just, because they're also smaller, they like have contact with bigger, with big companies um, that can sponsor them. So for example, it's much easier to get like a car sponsorship in Europe than it is to get a car sponsorship in the US, at least like for sailing or for kiting. Um, so yeah, it like it's definitely possible, no doubt. And I think like now I'm breaking even basically, and like you can definitely break even. But can you like live off of it, F- like for an extended period of time without doing anything else? Not really. Uh, so you're you're in a unique position because you have some. Uh, I mean, you've won a bunch of world championships, which is you know entitled you the right to have some of higher pedigree sponsorships is that primarily where your funding comes from at this point from your equipment sponsors yeah it's primarily that um and then the saint francis sailing foundation and my parents basically they like now they don't really need to help me as much um because they basically like only helped me when they bought um like my first set of kites back in like 2015 or 2016 when I was still like 14 or 15 um and then they would like pay for my travel maybe like to one or two events a year um and then from there like the St. Francis Sailing Foundation helped me out a lot with like travel expenses um and then like because I then won a world championship then a sponsor like was started like just giving me kites for free um and also helping with like travel expenses to some of the big events so then st francis sailing foundation would help me with expenses for some of the smaller events and um it's worked out pretty well do you think the allocation of resources within uh, the sport has been um equal across genders either you know either resources from the U S system, um, or your international sponsors or, or prize purses for major, major events, et cetera. Um, prize money was equal for the first time in 
is it 2019 maybe I forget but it didn't become like we didn't have equal prize money up until like very recently um and then like this year the prize money was definitely equal at but we only like when I say prize money it's like it sounds like a lot but it's really not that much and it's only for like one or two events per year and in the grand scheme of things like let's say you win that event it pretty much like pays for the travel and the accommodation for that event um but yeah now it's equal and then I think overall like now I think in terms of like the allocation of resources I think it's getting more and more equal but because like it is the fact is that it's a male dominated sport and I think more of the sponsorships and more of the like the the monetary support is definitely going towards the guys just because there's more of them um but now I think that because there's more like competitive girls actually that are you know getting closer to the guys then that is changing and it's becoming a bit more equal in that sense was it ever tough being you know one of one of the only few girls uh racing out in the bay in san francisco amongst you know a bunch of tech bros i mean they're not all tech bros but a bunch of guys i mean honestly like not really like i i don't know i was always so competitive and so motivated and just like confident that i knew i could like be just as fast as them if I tried and I never like no one ever talked down to me and like when I was trying to like go out on the water in San Francisco or at Chrissy or at Sherman or something like all the guys were always super helpful and like really encouraging and supportive and I never had a bad experience and like maybe that's just me and like my parents all were always around and stuff so like maybe other women that might've been trying to get into it didn't have the same experience, but I always had a very positive experience. Um, and I think that's honestly like pretty different from a lot of other sports in general. Um, even from sailing, I think like, I don't think, I feel like if you were a woman trying to like get into sailing, um, it's super hard because like, if a guy wants like a guy owns a boat and he wants a crew, he's going to call up all his male buddies and have them come crew for him. Um, and yeah, it's just like, it's super hard being a woman and trying to enter into the sailing world because like it's so overwhelmingly male and there aren't that many opportunities for women. And like, obviously now things are definitely changing. And I think now is like, it's an incredible time to be a woman in the sport of sailing just because there's so many opportunities now between sail GP now and then the female America's cup announcement and stuff like that. Um, and even like 2024 will be the first time when there's equal male and female sailing athletes, which is really cool. Um, so times are definitely changing, but it's still like it's super hard to get into other sports, I think, because it's just so overwhelmingly male and um yeah it can be like tough for sure and even like I honestly think even now at CLGP like it's still a bit of a boys club and because like all those guys they've done like two or three America's Cup campaigns together and they've been doing this together for so long it's super hard to be a girl 
that's like entering that scene for the first time and like, you know, trying to learn what they've been doing for 10 to one or two decades, basically, you know? So, um, yeah, I think I've been like quite lucky with kiting that I haven't really had to like deal with that type of culture much, but now like getting more and more into sailing, like I can see how hard it is and just how like, it's a really tough situation, but thankfully like times are changing and I feel like I've stepped in right at the right time, essentially. So you're drawing like a pretty clear delineation between your experience in kiting and and your experience in sailing. Like when you say sailing now, kiting means sailing too, but it hasn't always your whole time you've been a kiter. Yeah, exactly. There has been plenty of talk about Paris 2024, and of course, kite foiling is making its debut in the Olympics in Paris 2024. Um, obviously, you have the potential for a gold medal. I'm sure you've heard it before. If you haven't, you know, it's my honor. Um, there's a lot of chatter about that, obviously. Um, does that chatter affect you? Um, I don't know. That's a good question. Um, I'm just doing my own thing here and I'm just having a grand old time, you know, kiting and training with the boys. And, uh, um, I guess like more and more recently I've like, and we've talked about this before, just like, I'm really trying to be more process oriented and focus on just making gains and just getting better. Um, and so I've really had to kind of change my definition of success over the past year because I was always super result oriented. And even if I didn't say it, I guess I did kind of expect myself to win some or a lot of the events because that's what I knew I was capable of. But now to me, success isn't necessarily like a gold medal per se. It's just like, if I can perform the, like my personal best at that event, then that to me is successful and like not leave anything, you know, not leave anything out. I was even like, I was filling out a performance plan that I have to do um, for my coaches at US Sailing. And like one of the questions was, you know, like, what is your, what's your result goal? And I was like, honestly, like, I don't really want to answer that because I don't have a result goal. Like, I just want to get better and I want to be driven by a process standard rather than a goal standard, Um, which has been like, it's not easy to kind of, it's not easy to adopt that mentality. And like, even now I have to work on it every single day. Um, That's how I'm trying to run my program and my campaign and if I'm the gold medal favorite, then that's great. Cool. But like, I'm just doing my own thing here. Boom. Ended on that. <laughs> Beautiful. Thanks for joining us. Until next time, I wish you fair winds and following seas. <laughs>